0: Welcome to The Power of Me, creating meaningful success for female leaders who already have achieved success, but still suffer from self-doubt, comparison, competition, and are looking to transform their mindset. Here's your host, Tracy Crossley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Power of Me. And in my interview series on female leaders, I have with me today megan huber hey megan hey tracy i'm so happy she's here she's a wonderful friend of mine and we're in a mastermind together and we were also in a coaching group together and she is an awesome awesome entrepreneur so let me tell you a little bit about her and we will get started so megan is a client fulfillment and retention strategist Uh, She transforms coaches, consultants, and experts into world-class group program facilitators who design and deliver unforgettable experiences for their clients. So important. Megan combines her 17 years of experience across public education, athletic coaching, curriculum development, client success management, and group coaching as a way to support leaders of coaching programs to elevate their own client experience, improve client results, and increase client retention. So that is a lovely, lovely thing you do. Thank you for what you do.
1: You're so welcome. I love it. I love it. And that sounded like a mouthful. When you hear somebody else like read your bio, it's like, oh, I might need to like shorten that.
0: (laughs) I know. I understand. But I think what you do offer is of such value that There's not a lot of people out there offering what you do. And so to hear that and hear it spelled out, it's like someone can be listening and go, oh, my gosh, I need to talk to this woman. So, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, the only category like industry where I have been able to study client success and client success management is the software industry. I've read every book, I've bought every book that I can possibly find on Amazon and every single one of them, it's the tech industry, software industry. So it is, you know, we are in this industry where we are in the helping industry. So you would think this, like we're the ones who developed this, but we didn't, we didn't. And it's not, it doesn't, I'm kind of creating it.
0: I love that. And I think it's great. It's sort of like you're in the covered wagon coming west.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It feels like that too.
0: (laughs) I'm sure. So let's talk a little bit about you. So one of the first questions that I love to ask is when you were a girl, were you ever called bossy or did you shy away from doing anything that would draw any kind of attention towards you?
1: I was never, ever called bossy ever. I was the complete opposite of that. Now I was labeled as a leader. So sometimes I think leaders or women do think to be a leader, I have to be bossy, Mm -hmm. but they don't have to exist. I've never been bossy, but I've always been labeled as a leader. So, you know, growing up, I was actually talking about this with another group in in a private kind of forum, in a program and i was sharing that when i was either two or three years old it was it was it was one of those ages i was at an i was attending an in-home daycare now i do not have a vivid recollection of this but i've heard my mom talk about it and i think subconsciously it has existed with me and i realized it very recently i was attending an in-home daycare and i wet my pants and i was spanked by the caregiver. I'm 40, so this is like 38 years ago. Right. And I believe that the the caregiver's daughter, who was older than us, she was like middle school aged, from what I've been told, I think she would like put a beanbag on front of me and like, you know, sit on it, or it just wasn't nice to me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I do remember from a very young age, four or five years old, where I was very, very careful and conscious about speaking up because I equated speaking up as someone being mad at me. Mm. And so to answer your question, I was never called bossy because I wasn't brave or courageous enough. Not, you know, nothing, mm-hmm. anybody, everybody brave and courageous is called bossy, but I wasn't sharing my voice very loudly. I was more of a silent, quiet leader.
0: So give me an example of what you mean by silent, quiet leader.
1: I, I observe a lot. So, you know, granted, if I take a personality test, I am extremely introverted. I'm not even close to the middle. I'm like 90%, 95% introvert. You'll never, you will never know that. You would never guess that about me though, if we were interacting. But I love to observe people. And I think introverts are very good at that. And I pick up a lot when I'm listening and looking at body language and I'm observing how people are interacting with each other. And I'm listening to the words that people are saying. And one of the things that I do is I pick up on what that person's skill set and strength is in, where their passion is, what they're really good at, and, and in my mind, what I'm doing and some people think like, oh, you're dumb because you're not speaking up or, um, you know, you're not being a good addition to this conversation or team or whatever because you're not sharing your voice. But I, what I'm sitting there doing is basically like connecting all the dots in my head about all the information that I'm picking up. And then what that allows me to do is speak very directly, very clearly, very simply and very intelligently and kind of on point about how we need to move this ship forward and who can play what role. And then you also figure out what motivates people. If you just sit back and listen and watch people, you can figure out what motivates them. Now, granted, I was also a high school teacher starting at the age of 22 years old. And when you've got 25 or 30, 14 to 18 year olds in your classroom and they all learn in a different way, they all come with their own set of baggage of all kinds. You have to assess insanely quickly. How do I motivate every single student in here? Because they might all need to be motivated in a very different way. So my silent leader, quiet leader is more leaning back at first assessing and then moving forward and really listening to people and guiding them based on what's gonna work best for them instead of loudly telling people what to do.
0: So a couple things are interesting to me about what you're saying. One of them is it's so hard for people to listen. So congratulations to you for having that gift, but more so, was that something you learned or was that something that just came naturally to you?
1: That's an interesting question. I do believe part of that came naturally to me. However, I believe that what cultivated it is what I said earlier.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think that because, and I was also told from an extremely young age before I was school age, I was shy and bashful. So when you're told you're shy and bashful, I was also told I was sensitive. So when you're told you're shy bashful and sensitive, you are quieter. Because you believe you take on the persona of, well, I'm a quiet, shy, bashful, sensitive person. Well, how do those people act? They sit back and they're quiet, and in a circle of friends, you don't share your opinion. Right. You wait until everybody has spoken. And you know, like the I think the limiting belief behind this, Tracy, is that what you're thinking in your mind is, oh my gosh, am I going to say the right thing?" If I don't say the right thing, are people going to be mad at me? So simultaneously, while I'm sitting back and listening to people, and I think what I am naturally very gifted at is assessing all Mm -hmm. the things that I said previously. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And there's a limiting, there's a conditioned side to that as well. And it's the thought process that I'm not going to say the right thing. And if I say the wrong thing, what are people going to think about me? And are they going to be mad at me because I shared my voice? And then what are the repercussions and consequences of somebody being mad at me? or somebody not liking me, or someone thinking something about me that really isn't true, and then that is playing a really big role in it
0: as well. I think there's so many things to what you just said, because a lot of us have those kind of insecurities of how am I gonna be perceived and am I gonna be misunderstood? And you know, as women, we have a prescriptive bias out in the world where prescriptive bias meaning, first of all, descriptive, you're a woman, Second of all, the group you belong to, there's an expected behavior. And if you don't fit in with the expected behavior, like, you know, girls are nice, full of sugar and spice, whatever, that kind of crap. Right. And so whatever else is built on top of that, we don't realize it may not be in the forefront of what we're thinking and what we're doing. But it's definitely in the background of what we're thinking and we're doing.
1: Yeah. And so that
0: part of me. Only came out around other women. Mm
1: -hmm. never men. And, you know, I what I have been able to connect that not that it necessarily matters, like why and where it came from. But going back to that incident I described at the babysitter, they were female. Mm -hmm. And then what that led to is I started becoming fearful of my mom at a very young age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was afraid of my mom. And then I thought my mom was always going to be mad at me. And so when I started navigating friendships with other girls as a school aged child, anybody who had characteristics or traits that would, re- I think reminds me of either the babysitting incident or my mom. Cause my mom was, I wouldn't say my mom is loud. She's not loud. She talks mm-hmm. a lot. I would say my mom is bossy. Mm-hmm. My mom is very, she has very bossy outspoken tendencies. Mm -hmm. And I would equate her tendency to be bossy and outspoken as not really jiving with other people, like other people would talk about you behind your back. Um, Other people wouldn't like it. Um, It was hurtful to other people. Now, no one told me these things. I I interpreted it as that. And so when you're interpreting someone else who is that close to you as outspoken bossy and then the repercussions of that, you're like, well, gosh, I don't want to be that way. And so even well into my adulthood, um, the best way for me to describe how I would have a tendency to perceive not all women, but certain women is as intimidating. Because I was intimidated by the female authority figures in my life at an extremely young age. So you just carry that with you, like lives inside of you. And so I would be intimidated by other women who would remind me, I think, of those traits and characteristics. But it never, ever has ever shown up around men, even very powerful men.
0: It's interesting. I have um, the same trajectory in terms of women and men. Like I when I was younger, I had no problem when I was in sales approaching men at all with women. I had a whole judgment going on of how they must be sizing me up, how I must be coming across, like even the tone of my voice, like I would be very much not. You know, paying attention in a positive way, paying attention in a negative way. Like, what am I doing wrong? I always figured I was doing it wrong.
1: Yeah, I completely resonate with that. And you're always thinking that they're thinking you're doing it wrong. Right. And so then you sort of morph into what you think is acceptable. Right. But again, I never did it around men. It was what's accept- acceptable in the in the girlfriend group or what's acceptable in this new group of women You know, especially if you walk into a networking room or you walk into a live event and you're trying to figure out like, where am I gonna sit? Who am I gonna sit with? Who am I gonna fit in with? And literally it's like 2 million thoughts. Like we're talking about those types of thoughts are racing through your mind. Who's gonna accept me? What are they gonna think about me? Am I gonna look like, you know, fill in the blank. And then you just, uh, the best way for me to describe it, like what I would do is I I would mute myself. Mm -hmm. I would become like a muted version of myself. And so what I have discovered is that when I became a muted version of myself, I was hiding the parts of me that I thought others weren't going to like, but those were actually the parts of me that made me the most likable.
0: Interesting.
1: And I was so afraid to show it. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's not until I'd say the last very recent couple of years where I have really opened up to a new way of thinking about that and practicing really creating a, a new identity and a new persona because you know, everything we're describing, you're sort of living like half a life. Oh, totally.
0: Yeah. I agree. And so it brings up, of course, what kind of challenges this provided for you when it came to being a business owner. Because I know you know you've had many iterations as I had described in your bio, but you've had challenges that have come from not just the mindset, but what is it, you know, that would really get in your way and how did you get through those things in terms of your own growth as a business owner?
1: So all of my conditioning that we're talking about here would largely show up in the category of voice and message. So saying what you really want to say. Uh, even letting come through what is meant to be said. Like it's not even, I know exactly what I want to say and I'm too afraid to say it. There's a whole other layer to it. And it's you can't even access what's really in you because you're, you're not subconsciously, this, this is not happening consciously. right? But subconsciously, it's not coming through. And that can be very, very frustrating. Now, I say that I've made a lot of money, but there was also like a cap on that. And I say there's a cap on that because years go by and you're just kind of treading along at the same level, even if you're changing your business model or changing the client that you're working with or changing the coach that you're working with. It's like you kind of don't ever get past this particular like threshold, if you will, so for me, it would largely largely show up around voice and message and even pitching or positioning myself to be on the stages or being interviewed by five podcast hosts a week or putting yourself out there to be the go-to person in whatever your category or expertise is in. It would show up like that. It would also show up with the tendency, the tendency to, and this would be like a winning strategy, the tendency to look at what other successful people are doing and making yourself believe, well, in order for me to be as successful as I want to be, or to be as successful as I see them as, then I have to look like that, sound like that, operate like that, but it never works. It never works and it always feels a little slightly off internally inside your body and inside your mind, it just feels off. But you're still gravitating towards like doing it like that and so you never really 100%, I mean maybe like 60%, 70%, but you're never like fully 100% owning your own voice, point of view and perspective, even your own expertise. You're not even fully owning that and displaying it. Um, I would say that largely, and then that also can behavior wise, what that can also look like now, again, other people in the outside world aren't, they're not necessarily picking up on this, right. But another behavior is you will be inconsistent in your outward showing up whether it's on video or being interviewed or whatever your mechanism platform or medium is of growing your business and marketing and selling and all that you will be inconsistent in your behavior to position yourself out there which then means you could be inconsistent with your income you could be inconsistent in sales um you know it just it's like the trickle down effect so those would be the ways that it would show up and then again that fear of Um, Am I going to, it's the same stuff I said as a little girl, what are people going to think about me? Am I saying the right thing? Uh, Am I going to be accepted? Uh, Am I going to say something that's going to like make a group of people mad and not like me. And if that's running the show, even subconsciously, again, you are a muted version of yourself. You are like a personality less version of yourself. You're not this charismatic not that I'm ever gonna be like, you know, the loudest, I'm never gonna be the loudest one in the room because that's just not me. I don't care to be, but you're just not gonna be like your vivacious, charismatic, magnetic leader that you literally can visualize in your mind, that you literally know is in there. And that's what's so frustrating, I think, for a lot of us and a lot of a lot of women and probably men too. The frustrating part, it's like you're in this internal battle because you you're you can you're clearly aware of how you're operating, but then you're also aware of what's inside of you. And it's sort of like you're caught in between these two worlds and you've got one foot in each one. And sometimes you turn on one light and sometimes you turn on the other and you just haven't quite figured out how to become this version of yourself that you know yourself to be. And that's the most frustrating part right there.
0: Uh, it's interesting that you're saying that because the whole time you're talking, I'm thinking it's amazing because we just hold ourselves back from taking risks. And that, you know, is always associated with female leaders. Ah, oh, they just don't take the risks. It's not necessarily true. but, you, you know, if you take a risk and you're in a very insecure place, like you have all of these thoughts in your head that are sabotaging you as a leader, then you go to take a risk and you're going to fall apart because you're not going to feel like you have that secure, confident feeling inside. So I am going to guess that you having worked through some of this, that you found yourself taking risks and perhaps not, let's say, dying by the sword if they work out or they don't.
1: Yeah. So the biggest, one of the, one of the biggest risks that I've taken most recently, which you know about this, I pivoted my entire business. I literally shut my programs down, like stopped them. I fulfilled them. I fulfilled on my contracts, but I shut everything down. And like we were talking about the very, like the first 60 seconds of this, I went in a direction that I'm basically pioneering and creating in an industry that has largely existed and was created in the software industry. And no one is talking about what I'm talking about. That is a huge risk for me. Now, other people listening may think like, oh, that's not very risky. But you know, listening to this conversation, that is extremely risky, because I don't, I can't follow my winning strategy. Right? My winning strategy was to pay attention to what everybody else is doing, and make sure you fall in line, make sure you follow the rules, make sure you do not step out of line either. I mean, I was even raised that way. So going like rogue and being a pioneer, the only way you can pioneer that is if you're speaking about it. I have to talk about it. I have to educate people on it. I have to get people on board with it. I have to experiment with it every single day and I have to keep talking about it even when people don't get it because they're hearing about it for the first time. So that has been one of the biggest risks Financially, like shutting down your whole entire business and where you've made all your money for the last six years, and then going in a direction where I have nobody to mimic, emulate, copy, pay attention to, because I'm creating it from scratch.
0: Right. Well, I think that, you know, in, in getting a little bit back on the mindset, it's, Most of us are looking for a unicorn and we don't realize we're looking for a unicorn, right? We're looking for a perfect model, a perfect business, a perfect something, you know, something that doesn't really exist in reality, in other words, right? And I think that as you go through the kind of growth you have, that you start to realize, yeah, there is no unicorn. And I'm, I mean, I don't want to say, oh, I'm my own unicorn because it's kind of silly, but in a sense, we are our own unicorn.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100% we are and and we have everything inside of us and i think that's what so many of us do i mean so much of what i'm saying here today is i was looking outside of myself for all the answers like i was going to find it in somebody else's business model or somebody else's message or somebody else's framework or whatever whether it's life or business and i'm large i mean i would have to say i've largely done that in business mm-hmm. i've not done that as a parent i've not done that as a wife uh, I haven't done that as a friend. I'm not looking for anybody. I'm not trying to like copy somebody else's marriage or like, let me go find out how I'm supposed to be a good parent. I've never done that in those categories, but I have done that in business. And I, I did do that in career as well before I started my own business. Um, So yeah, I, so much of this work, which is what so much of what you do, it is within so much of it is within because we have the version of ourselves that is, The version we desire, Mm -hmm. it isn't over there. It's not even in the future. It's not separate from us at all. And that was a really, I mean, that concept sounds so doggone simple, but many of us were not living that way. I was not living that way. I was living as if all my desires, including who I desire to be, was completely separate from me. Like I had to go hunt her down or had to go hunt those things down. And as long as you keep it separate from you, you'll never have it. And so the realization that I was one with that, whatever that was for me, that's when everything really shifted for me. And I like, it's like light bulb went off and I got it.
0: You know, it's interesting because the word separate. So it's not just separate from yourself. We separate from others, even though we can look like a group of women that are coming together, as long as you are separate from yourself, it is very difficult to come closer to that.
1: Yes. Yeah, because we're also separating ourselves like, uh, I think it was, um, I don't follow either one of these two like religiously, but it was Oprah and Gabby Bernstein. And I must've been listening to something years ago, or this was in a book, but I heard Gabby Bernstein say it. And she was speaking at the same event as Oprah. And Gabby Bernstein had this interaction with Oprah backstage. And uh, Oprah said to her, as long as you see me as separate, you will never be on that stage. You will never be what I have created. You'll never be that version of yourself because you see me as better than you. You see me as this amazing thing, but you're equally as amazing. And so, yeah, I think a lot of us as women, we're looking at to, uh, we're looking at other women. I mean, just think about it, Tracy. Like mm-hmm. my husband and I had this conversation. If you think about it, women, who are we actually getting all glammed up for? Who are we getting dressed up for? Who are we like putting makeup on for? Who are we doing our hair for? It is not for men. Mm -mm. None of us are doing that for men. I don't do that for my husband. It doesn't Mm -hmm. even cross my mind. We're doing it for other women.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And women are the ones who are actually sizing each other up. Men aren't really. They're not really like they're simple, Uh -uh. but that's what we're doing. And you're right. Like we are separating ourselves from other women. Like I need to get where she is. I mean, all that language is you're basically acknowledging that you're separate.
0: Right. And as long as you're separate, you're not together. I mean, obviously. And Mm -hmm. the funniest part of it is that I was talking to somebody and she was telling me um, she's an agent and she has clients that have won Academy Awards and all this stuff. Right. And they still have that attitude of they're not good enough. They're separate. They haven't arrived yet you know, because that's an external motivation, right? It's got to be about internal. So before I go off on another tangent, um, I want to, you know, wrap this up. But before we wrap it up, I'd like to know if you have any tips for anybody who's listening on, you know, what you did to actually affect this change in yourself so that you have, you know, arrived, let's say at a place in your career that you are thriving.
1: I mean, I really do believe that you cannot do all this by yourself. I really do believe that I don't know that I would have always said this until the last couple of years, but I really do believe that you need a guide. Mm -hmm. You need an expert who is an expert in what, whatever you want to call it. We'll just put it in the category of mindset. And there's lots of things that exist in that category. I needed tools. You know, I've been in the coaching industry for 10, 11 years. I have read hundreds of books. I worked for someone who was a coach who used to be a psychotherapist. So I was like sitting beside someone who literally taught this body of work for four years. You know, mindset work, spiritual work. I, I had never been given actual tools that I can implement and use on a daily basis for the rest of my life. And when I got access to a set of tools from a really good teacher too, then I am someone who works really well when I've got a framework and tools I can follow clearly knowing what my winning strategy Mm is. Right. It was the tools I needed, right? Like you can listen to stuff like this all day long, which I was doing, I was listening to all day long. But unless somebody gave me tools and said, like, this is what you want to do on a daily basis, and these are the tools and modalities that you can use, I wasn't seeing a significant shift at all. I was, it was happening slowly, and it was definitely happening, mm-hmm. uh, but it was the tools. It was getting access to tools, and there's lots of people who do this. Right. So it's not like one set of tools is going to work for everybody, but I needed tools and I needed to implement them, which I which I have done and I do on a daily basis. And that's what has worked the
0: most. I think that's great. I think really finding something that you resonate with and that will help you to get to be your most empowered. And that is what to me makes you influential and powerful because it's all within you. It's just like you said. So we are totally simpatico with that message. Oh, yeah. Um, So anyways, Megan, I'm really happy that you were able to come on today and share. And so where can people find you if they would like to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, the easiest, fastest place. And I respond, it's either on Facebook or Instagram. And my name over there is
0: Megan J. Huber. Awesome. I love it. Thank you again, Megan. And thank you everybody for tuning in. If you have any questions, you can send them to business at tracycrossley.com. And with that, we will see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Power of Me. For more information or to learn about Tracy's programs, please email business at tracycrossley.com. That's business at tracycrossley.com.